0: Hey, it's Ron. This episode was recorded before I launched Politicology when I hosted the Lincoln Project podcast on this feed. If you have questions, comments, or advice, you can reach us at podcast@politicology.com at or find us online at politicology.com. Enjoy. Hello from the Lincoln Project. I'm Ron Stuslow. Welcome back to our weekly roundup, where we bring in a rotating panel of experts to discuss the truth you need to know behind the most important stories of the week and how they're shaping the political landscape of this election. We have, as usual, an outstanding panel today with three of my fellow co-founders of the Lincoln Project, independent political strategist, and our captain on this ship, Reed Galen. It's great to have you back, Reed. Hey, Ron. Communication strategist and former chair of the New Hampshire Republican Party, Jennifer Horn. Welcome back, Jennifer. Great to be here, Ron. And legendary ad maker and author of the New York Times bestselling book, Everything Trump Touches Dies, Rick Wilson. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Ron. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the final presidential debate between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Last night's debate is being described as calmer than the disastrous first debate in September. And during the debate, Trump sought to paint Joe Biden as an ineffective, scandal-plagued career politician, while Biden looked to cast Trump as a demagogue who mishandled the coronavirus pandemic and abused immigrants. So I want to start with Reid, but come to everyone. How successful were both Trump and Biden in your views last night, just at a high level? Reid?
1: Let me, you know, qualify my statement by saying Donald Trump acted normal for him. Um, which is still not normal for anybody else. Yeah. Um, but I think also, you know, I, I thought about it that I think when you're a performer, your 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 fans want what they expect, right? So yeah. you know, like when you go to a band and they play, we're going to play something off our new album, and everyone goes,
0: ah,
1: <laughs> right? Like Trump with that, like this was Trump's new like softer side because he, I think he understood he is he is instinctually a good political animal. And so I think he understood that both between the mute button and like his disastrous first debate that he had to somewhat tone it down. The problem is is that his biggest fans want the like whirling dervish, right? They want all the outbursts and and the strength and all that. So they didn't get what they want. Not at the beginning anyway. No. Yeah. Um, but even and and then I think anybody who's still undecided at this point, which I'd love to meet these folks, um, would be like, well, yeah, but he, like, yeah, I listened to him. It still doesn't make any goddamn sense. Yeah. So I think yeah. that, you know. From that perspective, and he was just, you know, again, another a font of lies. Yeah. Um, I thought Biden did well. I thought he did well enough uh, to, you know, he held serve. That's yes. what he needed to do. Um, I think he once again demonstrated competence and compassion and an ability to stand up to Trump and put up with his craziness and not, you know, lose his mind, which is sometimes like they tried to do with that, the, whoever that guy was, Tony, Tony B, yep. who they tried to roll out ahead of time. Um, you know, he did not react to all of the China silliness that I'm sure um, Trump really wanted to get under his skin. And I th- I think that Trump needed to be his his real self for that to have worked because he just would have needed to go crazy yeah. and just ping him and ping him and ping him. And he didn't do that. And therefore he sort of gave up on it.
0: Yeah. So He also had Academy Award winning worthy facial expressions the entire evening. <laughs> <I thought> yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Rick, what was your take? <laughs> Look,
2: Donald Trump needed a knockout. He didn't get it. Yeah. He needed to really fundamentally alter the terms of this debate Mm in terms of this campaign. And he didn't get it. And you could see that he had been beaten to within an inch of his life by whether whoever's advising him now, begging him to not go out there and be crazy. But as Reed said, you know, the audience demands a different thing and Trump only has one real audience and that's his fans. And so the, The disconnect last night, the right wing media infrastructure around Trump for three days is building and building and building this crazy story. And Trump never even bothered to memorize the details of it. He kind of wandered through it and tried to make some broad accusations against Biden. None of it was detailed or granular enough to stick, and none of it was credible enough to stick. And so so last night, all Biden had to do was walk on stage and not fall over dead.
0: Yeah. Speak in complete right, you know. sentences, right. basically. Right. And,
2: and, and what you saw was that Biden, early in the debate, there were a few moments where Biden was getting a little mm-hmm. flustered. He, he stuttered a couple of times. And, and there's one moment, there's one clip that I, I want to go back and watch. But at one point, Biden stuttered. And in the two shot, you could see Trump making like a little grin because he thought he was going to rattle him. Uh But the most of the night, Joe Biden was in command of the facts and commanded the details. Mm -hmm. And Donald Trump was out throwing haymakers, you know, and not even within 10 feet
1: of the guy. So, (laughs) well, and, and, and yeah, and I think that's, that's the thing, you know, it just, when, when Brett Favre, you know, one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history said, you know, he, in the first couple of series, he always overthrew the ball because he was so amped up that he, like, he couldn't, like he he just had to get that energy on. And I think that's probably what Biden had to. He there was a I mean, yeah. if you didn't have some level of anxiety going into that, then then you wouldn't be human. And Biden's, you know, an eminently human guy. And so I think he needed to get through that first couple of rounds of Trump being crazy. And then he sort of settled down,
0: Hey, Jennifer. how did you see the spectacle last night before we dig into the individual points here as a as a piece of theater? as a performance that people were watching how did well, you view well i mean we're all pretty uh, much on the same page of course what i
3: think happened with trump um to to reed's point i'm sure some or and maybe it was rick who said it somebody told him do not go out there and act like a freaking crazy person and so i i think that what happened is with trump being so far off his game out of his normal approach here we we saw the truth of donald trump right just this standard dishonest idiot who didn't really belong on the stage all he could do he just you know he's that first that first question came when they came about um um oh gosh, I think it was about covid was the first question the first question I remember them thinking oh he's got to had a couple he had a couple facts that he could just he clearly was in command of you know some numbers and things like but But then it was all over. Like It was was the first question. And then from there on, it was all over. He does not have a command of the facts. He has no depth. He has no intellectual curiosity. He spent the entire night trying to figure out how to get Joe Biden on China. And there was no get there. There was nothing to get. Whereas halfway through the debate, uh, Joe Biden had an answer where he said, you know, his character, you know, my character, the character of the country is on the ballot this year. That was game over game over everything that happened after that just didn't even matter in my opinion like that was it and and that's and to reach point if there's actually undecided voters out there that's what got them
0: so let's actually turn to the coronavirus discussion since you brought it up as one of our main topics here because Trump kept his usual stance uh, that the end of the coronavirus pandemic is right around the corner. Joe Biden pushed for more aggressive federal action to curb the spread of the virus and protect Americans and small businesses. Um, Reid, can you talk about the contrast between the two approaches, uh, both to that question and to the substance of the question? One of Trump's
1: fascinating abilities is to say we've done you know i take re- i take no i take responsibility but it's not my fault
0: that was the first time he'd ever said that right. that i
1: had seen yeah but remember that like a lot of people he when he doesn't want to answer the question anymore he'll give you the answer he want you want yeah. because he doesn't care
0: and then he'll flip it upside right, down exactly. a second later right, because he doesn't <laughs> care
1: he wants to say he answered your question and then he's going to move on yeah and i think that this is where we i think probably during both the first debate and his covid infection I don't think anybody just, I just don't think a lot of people believe what he says anymore. I think that the, you know, well, let's take him seriously, but not literally or whatever it is like now people take him seriously and literally. And they're like, this is not what we need. And so when he says the, the vaccine is right around the corner, I don't think anybody believes that when he says the military is going to deliver a hundred million doses, I don't think anyone believes that. When, she, when Kristen Welker asks specifically what company is going to provide this, he names off every pharmaceutical company <laughs> yep, he can think yep, of. Yep. yep because, and they're all doing great. And they're all doing great. And they're all going to provide it to us. Um, and then he goes through Florida and Texas and Arizona that had flare ups, but he leaves out Wisconsin, which is, from a COVID perspective, yeah, a raging on a fire, fire. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know if he knows that or he just didn't mention it because it's not good news or both. Right. Um, and so. I think that it's it was the more it was the same thing of China China China. It's not my fault, and these guys failed on the swine flu, which no one remembers, right? Which you know, swine flu
2: excess deaths were zero, right? But you know, look, it it, it is entirely possible for Donald Trump to be both ignorant of the facts and completely mendacious <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. It's his normal. State. It's his walking and chewing gum of Trumpism. Yeah. yeah. Um. But look, I, I think I think what you saw last night was. By the end, I think Trump was feeling that moment had passed him, that this was not going to be a debate that he could swiftly and easily declare victory on even his own people. And I want to go back to this again, because they really, you know, if if we've all got PTSD from 2016, they have a weird inverse of that. And that idea is that Trump will always blow up the problem he's in right now to get out of it by with some, you know with some deus ex douchebag prank of his. And they thought that this Hunter Biden laptop story was going to take off. And when you look at the Hillary email story, it was front page of the New York Times, front page of the Washington Post, front page of Wall Street Journal, Boston Globe, all the major papers. It was every night on the news, top of the the hour. It was pushing the cable channel programming like nothing else. And this story is not doing that. That's right. The the media has their bullshit filter is notched up high enough, or 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 their or their, you know, Im- Im- immune systems are more powerful now than they were, and they just aren't buying it because it's because it's ludicrous. Yeah. And and my favorite part was one of the screen caps from the the alleged smoking gun emails that Rudy posted yesterday it was supposedly from Hunter Biden's phone, but the screen cap he posted was from a was from a phone on MTS, which is a Russian. You know how it's oh a Sprint God. or Verizon oh or or, or yeah. AT on your phone yeah. at the top. Yeah, <laughs> this
3: was. These a, guys are so unbelievable. Sloppy. I mean, they're so it, sloppy. I mean, like, <laughs> it's like
1: and and then they can't. I mean, it's like they have in their ads. Yeah, they're like being cut in you know in Lithuania. They can't get out of the Russian stock footage right. business like right. I, it's. Yes. I mean, look, as practitioners, we're insulted at how bad they are at this. <laughs> truly, truly how so, bad they are at this. So
0: Jennifer, Rick mentioned excess death, and this is something that came up last night that Trump rattled off as one of the points of praise, right, for his administration. But we recently had a trio of emergency medicine doctors on the podcast with Dr. Dan Barkoff and Dr. Natasha Kathuria, One of the things she mentioned, she's an ER doctor in Texas, And she said, one of the things that we have not even begun to to grapple with is the totality of the human cost of COVID outside of COVID deaths because of the capacity of emergency rooms being completely filled and, and people who otherwise would come into the emergency room, either not coming in because they're afraid of getting COVID or not being able to come in because the Emergency rooms are at capacity. And she said, We are, we have not even begun to think about how big that number is yet. And we're not going to until probably this is over and someone does a really legitimate study. And Trump claimed the United States has a lower excess mortality rate than almost any other country. And just to be clear, excess mortality rate determined by totaling up all of the deaths in a given time and comparing it to data from prior years. The Journal of the American Medical Association published a study earlier in October showing that the United States has a higher excess mortality rate per capita than France, Sweden, Switzerland, Canada, Germany, Denmark, Belgium, among others. And among the countries they examined, only Spain and the United Kingdom had a higher mortality rate per capita. So we're currently facing one of the biggest crises in American history, and we haven't even begun to really reckon with the death toll outside of COVID. How alarming is it to you that seven months in, the president of the United States cannot or will not comprehend or react to the realities of the pandemic, the humanity.
3: Right. It's extremely alarming, and it is. Um, I think it goes to the heart of what is um, of what is really pushing the president's numbers to where they are. I, I think it's really what is pushing people to look at him and say, "I just don't care about any of this other stuff." There's no way that I can vote for Donald Trump again in 2020. Um, And it goes beyond the excess mortality rate. You look at how many people, are because they had coronavirus and got it at a point in this process before we had any clue at all how to treat it or any of the things that we've learned in the last seven or eight months, are now going to live with for some people, extreme medical conditions for the rest of their lives because of the impact of coronavirus on their system. We we know that people have organ issues, they have neurological issues, all sorts of systemic issues that they're now going to be stuck with for the rest of their lives. We know that there are millions of people out there um, who are not part of this excess mortality rate, but had to fight to get the medical care that they or a loved one needed because of the coronavirus restrictions that we lived under for so long. Uh, and and continue to in our medical facilities, the uh, people who had cancer treatments stop. People who um, were diagnosed with tra- cancer and then could not begin their cancer treatments for an extended period of time because the hospital wouldn't let them in the door um, to their to their facilities. Um, people who, uh, it, you know, it, it just it it has been a horrible year, and um, I don't know if you gave me this question on purpose or not. I've lost two loved ones this year and the coronavirus made it so much more difficult than it had to be. I don't don't blame it. I don't blame their passing on the coronavirus and I don't blame their passing on Donald Trump. But my family has carried a significant amount of pain. My little sister and her children continue to. And this made it so much worse. People who had to mourn loved ones Without being allowed to have their living loved ones come and comfort them. People who had to go through these, these, these terrible times feeling alone and, and disconnected from the people in their lives that they love the most. This is what I mean when I say our, our country is carrying a terrible burden. The president of the United States has inflicted a painful loss on the American people. And it is going to take us longer than just this election to recover from that. That is on Donald Trump.
1: Yeah, this is, you know how sometimes we say it was a man-made disaster, but we're talking about how like it was of human construction. This is a man-made disaster and there's one man responsible, right? I mean, but when, you know, when Joe Biden takes the oath of office, we will probably be reaching the peak of this wave, right? It's not going to get better probably before then. Um, and we should expect that the, whatever federal response there is will be worse if it's possible and more non-existent if it's possible in a, in a potential transition period, because you can assume that Trump's just going to be flailing all over the place, um, you know, saying he was stabbed in the back and pardoning everybody who he can because, you know, he doesn't want you know, his buddies in prison who might say something bad about him. Um, and so I, I think that why why is the presidency so important? Because of exactly what Jennifer just talked about, which is we don't elect presidents for the good times. We elect them for the bad times. This man was never capable of the job, was never capable of of completing the task that was at hand when it came to COVID because he didn't see it in the context of How do I protect the people I'm supposed to serve, but how do I minimize it to my political benefit or to protect my political interests and equities? And that's where we are. And you know what the end result of that equation is? Uh, People, 215,000 dead Americans and probably a million stories like Jennifer's of people who were alone at the end, um, of, of families who were wrenched and we'll never be the same right that's the thing the folks are never going to be the same and we always talk about oh where well, you know where are we going to go you know how are we going to get back to normal like the old normal's gone what the new normal is we don't yet know
2: you know i think one more thing i want to just yeah, uh, Jennifer's extraordinarily you know painful and heartfelt experience that that she's gone through and and millions of other americans have gone through there are two things that reminds me of the first is that Everyone is one degree of separation from the tragedy of COVID now in this country. They're not, it's not ephemeral. It's not something that, you know, maybe you sort of know your cousin's friend got it. Everyone now knows someone who has either suffered from it or known someone who's lost a loved one from it or has lost a loved one from it. It has iterated through our society in ways that no one anticipated. And the second part of that, and I think this is also really important, take away the ideological differences between George W Bush and Barack Obama and Bill Clinton and George H W Bush and Ronald Reagan and Jimmy Carter and and we have not had a president in our lifetimes who has such a complete disregard such a complete and utter disregard for the suffering of individuals in the country who has never expressed a moment of sympathy or empathy you know he is occasionally read off the prompter a few lines like this tragedy must stop yeah but he doesn't believe it and you can tell Yeah, you know, we've all seen you know george w bush up close and that was a guy whose emotions and his and he's his, a crier he's yeah he's a crier always was yeah. and his and his give a damn about people was a little, an 11 yeah you know and barack obama we saw the same thing and those men had moments of genuine public emotion in times you know when Barack Obama went to Fort Hood after the Fort Hood shootings with Nadal Hassan, uh, you know, even I was a staunch critic of Barack Obama at the time. I was like, okay, that's oh, a genuine man. moment. Right. He yeah. feels this right. pain. It was early in his administration. Like, mean, he feels this agony of what's going on there. That's a president who gives a damn. Yeah, and, yeah, we, and, and, and
1: yeah. I think that's right is that, I mean— if you go back and look at the things that I think all of us have written or said publicly, let's talk about just, you know, President Obama is the most recent example, he probably had vehement policy sure. disagreements with him. And I, I, maybe I've written something that criticized him as a politician, but I don't think I ever thought he was a bad guy. Yeah, no. Right. Or, no. you know, not someone who, you know, had, even if I disagreed with what those interests were, his be- he, what he thought were the best interests of the country. Again, I'm happy to have vehement policy disagreements, but I don't think I ever thought this is a guy who wants to destroy America or is willing to let America
0: be destroyed. Yeah, to all of your points. Oh, Oh, just real quick. I think
3: what what we see, it's not just that Donald Trump appears to be incapable of compassion or human connection or feeling for other people's suffering. He doesn't want to. He doesn't care. He he doesn't has he has no introspective um, sense of himself. He doesn't. And I I was, you know, I I campaigned against Obama's policies regularly as an activist, as a candidate, as, you know, a a chairman, every. And so. So I was vocally anti Barack Obama. I never looked at him and said, he doesn't care about human beings. I've said this before. It was a transformative moment for me politically uh, to to some degree when Barack Obama went down for the um, funerals of the victims of the church shootings. And when he was up there speaking to the people, I was crying before he started, just broke out singing Amazing Grace. Because We have never had a president before in the history of our country who was completely void of care for, like we use all these other words, compassion and empathy, and we start trying to pick apart his psychology. He doesn't care. It's so basic and so intrinsic, like everything you do in life as a human being is because you care. You care about your family. You care about your coworkers. You care about the world that you live in. Donald Trump doesn't. He doesn't. He only cares about himself.
1: But can I just say that, and I think we might have discussed it before, um, in that moment when uh, President Obama was was at the memorial service for the the Charleston shooting, and he starts singing Amazing Grace, and you see everyone behind him stand up, right? It is such a moment and they all realize what is happening and they, and they love it. It's like right? lightning and is and striking. It, yeah. And, and it, and yeah. it just, in that moment, it encapsulated what that room needed. And he had such an understanding. He had, he was attuned to the, mo- he, yeah. he was, yeah. and that's what that moment needed. And he found it. Trump, never had a moment because he doesn't care.
0: He's never even looked for it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's and, incapable of and, it. And I think this came up a couple of times last night, probably three or four, when both Joe Biden and Donald Trump were asked to speak directly to families, to, 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 to the American people. And Joe Biden nailed it every single time, looked right into the camera and spoke to the people who were watching. And Donald Trump couldn't do it. He couldn't speak to... The people who were suffering. We well, in do fact, it. and in fact, he he
1: ridiculed yes Biden for doing it, yes. saying, "Look at this guy trying to be the politician."
0: Exactly. Um, right. Um, right. Yeah, he, yeah. Right. he did
1: yeah. He realized that there was a moment. I think his reaction was because he realized that Biden had had a moment yeah. that was breaking through. That's right. And he was unhappy about it, so he had to attack on like, "Well, he's just a politician."
3: Yeah, this isn't about my family. It's not about your family. Uh, it's not about my family. It's not about his family. This is about your family, and and it. And it it hits, and it's not because he's a good politician. It's because the people in our country are hurting so badly right now, and, and, and to he's hear a good a, human, it, right? Because and to hear a, a leader say, "I know that you're in pain. I want to t- find a way to make this better. I, I want to work with you and try to make this better." This, I, I really think, this is a very different election. And when the results are in and everything's counted, I think it's going to be reflected there too. This is a very different election. Think about every one of us who's ever, who's been involved in campaigns in any way. We always say, you come down to the end of the wire and it's about the economy. In the end, it's about, can you pay your rent and feed the kids? And it's about the economy. I I don't think that's true here. And, and, I, and I don't think it's about loyalty to party. And I don't think it's about, uh, this is a candidate that I was angry at for four years about something else. I just think you know even step back from what the Lincoln project has been about since we were founded, this is completely different and i th- I think that going forward um, the w- way that the American people look at presidential candidates is going to be fundamentally changed because of what we have experienced in the last eight months
1: well and I think that you know and to just echo Jennifer's point, I think that voters should not allow. It's all candidates, but if it's going to be the highest office in the land, you don't, you know, you have, you have to be better than you've been. Right. Um, I think that the Democrats actually did have a heck of a crop of, of candidates this year. I think some of which we'll see four years, eight years from now. Um, I mean, Mayor Pete's like thirty eight, so he'll be you know he'll be around until I have Man, grandkids he's probably. So um, good,
0: just as a sidebar, he's well, so good. And let me on just Fox say this: News, you They keep bringing clips? him on Fox, and they keep. He, oh, he, I think they bring him. I think, I think it's like they
1: just him want. On. It's like uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <They> <laughs> just, I have to admit
3: yeah. this now. I, I have yeah. no idea why. I had a dream about Pete Buttigieg last night. <laughs> i have no idea oh why never oh before
0: it was you better, some you weird chase in
1: here, then. <laughs>
3: it was some weird thing we were in a crowd and we all showed up somewhere and he was there and we we're like oh buddha judge is here okay we can go now it was some bizarre thing i have no well, idea we
0: have we have an invitation out to mayor pete and so pete if you're listening we would love we'd love, love to, have to have you, have you on. On. love to have you love on. To, have you on. to have you on Pete. So, I mean, Smith, I, Smith, me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I saw him call me. I mean, when I
1: was up in New Hampshire, it's hard to believe Jennifer and I, before this week, Jennifer and I hadn't seen each other since right before the New Hampshire primary. And I was driving around to several different events and I saw, I saw Buttigieg in, in you know, and it was a packed middle school, yeah. just jam- yeah. people yeah. down yeah. the halls. Yeah. And he, like, he's got it. Yeah, he does. Right? He's yep. got it. He, yeah, he he's does. got the thing. Yep. We'll he's see, thing. you know, what he wants to do, if anything. Yeah. Um, but I know we're off topic, yeah. but yeah.
0: Okay, there, because of a couple of other segments of the debate that I want to get to. So let's turn to immigration and race. Trump was asked about his family separation policy at the border. We learned earlier this week that the Trump administration had been unable to locate the parents of over 500 children who were separated from their parents at immigration detention centers. And when Joe Biden pointed this out... Trump responded by talking about how clean the facilities are. Rick, what what, what was (laughs) your reaction to
2: that? Listen, I invite Donald Trump or any of his family members to sleep in a fucking concrete cage um, with a Mylar space blanket um, for one night. I I want to invite them to do that one night. Just one. You sleep in a cage, a a chicken wire cage with a concrete floor with a Mylar space blanket. Tell me how good that is. tell me how great that, what an environment that is for children.
0: I'm sure we could get them some Goya beans. Yeah,
2: I'm sure we could. Because these, this is, this is of course, you know, sort of a running theme here. The fundamental inhumanity of Donald Trump and the people around him plays out on, in that story in a way. And they still don't understand how terribly that damaged him politically. That's what's, you know, look, on a humanitarian basis, I'm revolted by it. But on a professional political basis, it's the worst, dumbest thing you've ever seen. They're letting, you know, this is because Johnny McAtee and Stephen Miller and Dan Scavino are his base whispers. And they always tell him, oh, you've
1: got to be harder on those immigrants. You've got to, the, the, the more mean you are, the better. Let's Mr. just be Mr. Clear. Trump. On those three, one's a low rent, uh, you know, like Himmler. One is a former caddy, no offense to caddies. Yeah, yeah. And one is the guy who used to carry the Sharpie and the and the hand sanitizer. Like these are the three guys deciding on what he should what the president of the United yeah. States should say. Right. He he calls them his MAGO whisperers.
2: And oh they always tell him, Sir, sir, <laughs> you've got to be mean to the immigrants. And that's where you get the things that like Miles Taylor has talked yeah. to us about and others yeah. have talked to us about, you know. But he wants the top of the wall to be covered with spikes so they cut people, shoot them in the leg, torture yeah. them. Yeah, do the, the, cruelty the, cruelty the, the cruelty is the is point. Cruelty is the point. Yeah, right. and, and and when you've got a person like Stephen Miller at a in one of the most consequential jobs in government, you will inevitably get outcomes like kids in cages, and you can't spin it. No one believes it. No one buys it. You know, and Trump going, "Who built the cages? Who built them?" You know, yeah. it doesn't work. It doesn't work. This, this policy has separated 450 kids from their parents, maybe forever. And, and the empathy gap, once again, shows clear. He could have said, I'm, this is a tragedy. Our government needs to face up to this. I'm going to fix this. It would have been the easiest thing in the world, but the guy has political oppositional defiant disorder at all times. He cannot he cannot unfuck himself he cannot walk away from the behavior that 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 drives a tiny fraction of the american people who love the cruelty who love that spectacle of performative cruelty because um, he loves those people because they love him.
0: But politically, it's like stepping on rakes and as our friend <laughs> Fred Wellman keeps saying, every time you lay a rake down, he steps right on it and <laughs> yeah. it's right in the face so, politically. I mean, yeah. let's
1: just, uh, put, to put the, the context of 500 or so kids being, you know, without their parents. First, I mean, if you have kids and you understand, and I think we've all had that moment when you couldn't find your child and the incredible I mean, I don't even know what the word is to describe that terror, fear. Yeah. It's terror, it's maybe. Terror, yeah. Like, where are they? Um, is one. And then two, I mean, think about in every town, city, you know, whatever in this country, when there's an Amber Alert, your everybody's phone goes crazy, right? It's this big blaring noise. To look for one kid, mm-hmm. to look for one kid that's been taken, that's gone missing, you know that you know that you know they're in the they're in the eighty seven Corolla you know with a family member who made off with them, and every member of society is asked to be on the lookout for that person. This is five hundred kids who have no one they have no one, and what does that say about us
0: as a people? yeah, and Jennifer, you've made this point on a number of occasions. you've made a very compelling case on a number of occasions about why conservative pro-life voters should vote for Joe Biden. And this is part of your appeal. Um, what do you say to them?
3: Well, first of all, absolutely. I mean, um, and let's get the numbers exactly straight because thousands of children were separated from their families. It's 545 children that we've just learned will probably never be connect, uh, re reunited with their families, um, ever again. And, uh, well, One of the responses of this president was, well, those parents, pro- you know, some of those parents didn't really want him back anyway. That was part of the, the official response. Look, those parents he, didn't just, want him just back anyway. Just to interrupt,
1: anyway. that's where he is the ultimate projectionist, which is right. I'm not sure he wants his own kids yeah. back. Yeah, <laughs> <Right>. would you <laughs> but
3: well, <laughs> and that's uh, well. but but you know to Reed's point about the horror of this um, when our when my oldest son was 18 months old um, he became critically ill it started as the chicken pox but he came became critically ill into the emergency room couldn't get his fever down he was getting sicker and sicker they had to keep him they said we're going to have to keep him here for a couple of days go you guys go home and come back in the morning There was not a world where I was going home and leaving my 18-month-old son in the hospital and coming back in the morning. I slept in his hospital room with him until it was time for him to go home, and I had to fight to do it. So when to hear that this stupid response from these these, you know, these goons in the White House with these parents probably didn't want them anyway. I mean, that I just want to go down there and, and choke somebody when I hear that. Um, if you are a pro-life conservative who thinks that who looks at Donald Trump and says, I, I don't like him, I don't like what he does. But, you know, it's always that but, but pro-life, but Joe, but judges. Uh, You know, I just, I beg you to look into your heart, children sleeping on concrete floors in cages, our grandparents dying alone in nursing homes, our loved ones gasping for their last breath in ICUs where they literally cannot touch or feel, have human contact as they leave this world. There is no pro-life argument for Donald Trump. Joe Biden is a man of tremendous compassion who worships regularly with his family, who cares deeply about human life and human dignity and with whom we will have disagreements and arguments over the years, but with whom we will we will never look at Joe Biden and say why did you choose to let my loved one die.
0: While we're on the topic of immigration and race, during the debate Trump claimed He was the least racist person in the room. Trump has consistently egged on white nationalists. And during an investigation into housing discrimination practices, I would like to remind everyone that federal investigators found that Trump management marked the apartment applications for black people with a C for colored. Mary Trump, Donald Trump's own niece, has called him racist on multiple occasions. Read, how should voters be thinking about Donald Trump's claim that he was the least racist person in the room? In the room.
1: I mean, that's not true.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else you need to say. <laughs> I mean, it just the Ron, fact he that we said keep it to a moderator who is a woman of color. Yeah.
3: That's who he yeah. said it to.
0: Who, by the way, we should just take a sidebar to note how amazing a job she did. Kristen Walker did a a really, absolutely amazing really
2: tremendous, job. Tremendous, tremendous yep. tight, yeah, smart. Yeah. Uh
0: but we keep coming back to this. Is Donald Trump a racist? I don't know how there can be any doubt in anyone's mind at this point, given the t- given the 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 mountain of evidence against him.
2: There, there is. When I when I wrote my first book, uh, I started digging into the race stuff, and I knew the the sort of high points. I knew the 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 housing discrimination, Central Park Five, birtherism, mm-hmm. but. This is a through line that goes through this guy's entire adult life. Some of the worst stuff, and it's, it's, it's known, but it's not like widely discussed. During the casinos, quote, I don't want black faces on the casino floors. I don't want to see them because my people won't gamble if they think there's a black guy handling and touching their money. This guy is wired so deeply into him. And of course, this is why the dog whistles to David Duke and the Proud Boys and the alt-right and, and Richard Spencer and Jack Posobiec and all these racial little arsonists, they all wink and nod about it. And they all love it behind the scenes that you know, he's our guy, as they like to say. Well, their guy, once again, that's satisfying a weird slice of the Trump base but it revolts the vast majority of Americans and they see it and they smell it on the guy and you know it and they know what he's saying. You know, both sides know what he's saying when he says things like, you know, I'm protecting your suburbs from them, yeah. from those people. Yeah. You know, he puts the McCloskey's yeah. whose sole civic engagement in this life is waving around guns in front of black people. You know, he puts them front and center in the white house or in the RNC convention. Um, a- and it's not even
0: subtle. As Joe Biden put it, he's got a dog whistle the size of a foghorn. Yeah, <laughs> right. And, I it's, like that and, and it's attached. That was good. To, I it's, like it's attached, that attached
2: to a surplus Russian <laughs> submarine engine to drive the thing. It's just astounding how how Yeah. And look, he was also informed for many years by his relationship first with Roy Cohn. Yeah. And then with Roy Cohn's mini-me, Roger Stone. Yeah. And both of those guys have are not exactly shy about trafficking in racial politics. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, this is something that's wired. And, of course, his dad was arrested at a Klan yeah, yep, rally. Yep. So these are people...
0: These are not nice people. Yeah. And I think this is something Joe Biden did really nicely last night when he talked about the, the trajectory of the country in terms of living up to the original promises of the Declaration of Independence. And suddenly Trump comes along and says, nope, we're going to stop doing that now. We've slowly moved the needle in the right direction over the course of our history. And nope, we're not going to do that anymore. I thought that was a really good moment for him.
1: No, I thought it was, it was a good way to describe yeah. the choice. Yeah. Right. which is. Yeah. You know total rescission and reversion to a world frankly that never existed or existed for too many people um you know in in a in a really negative way uh or you know the future holds promise we don't know what it is we don't know that we'll make full use of that promise, but at least it's there,
0: but we have a compass
1: sure yeah. and 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 look the the proverbial phrase about the arc of history
2: bending in the right direction America. we love America in part because we we may have had flawed beginnings and we may make so many mistakes, but there's always this sort of slow push to move things in the right direction. And it, it comes in fits and starts. We do well, and then we slack off and we do well and we slack off. We make mistakes. We go up and down, but it always tries to move in the right direction. And this idea, this, this blood and soil nostalgia for a, a time, as Reed said, that didn't exist. Uh, that idea is appealing to a narrow slice of the world. And as our friend Stewart says, you know, the majority of people right now who are 18 years old are not white. And chances are in 25 years, when they're likely voters, it's all not gonna be white. You know, this is not gonna change. As the country, you know, as the country's demographic character alters with time, you've got a choice. Do you want to try to say There's an ideology of whiteness that we're going to preserve, or there's an American ideology that is propositional and that doesn't matter where you're from or what language you speak at the dinner table or who, what God you worship. If you want to become an American and you, and you follow the rules and you, and you engage in this light, the life of this country, you're an American. That's always been the resilience of our system, not a flaw, not a weakness and and you know we go through this we go through this all the time when when some of my relatives came over here in the 1840s from germany they were the scum of the earth they were the worst possible people and then the irish were the scum of the earth the worst possible people and then the italians were the scum of the earth the worst possible people and it goes on that arc goes through history and you know what uh, uh, you you reach the point where where uh, you know if you're here for three generations if your family's here for three generations you're as a merit you you've you've become american this idea of trumpism that is so again so blood and soil right. so much about so pernicious uh, so much about you know if you're not a if you're not a, a white christian from a non-shithole country yeah then you know and that it's like those italians i've got questions about them they're a little too dark yeah. around the edges you know yeah. this idea is just it is repulsive it is revanchist it is and and It is also about a demographic chunk of this country who are angry that the economy changed and they wanted somebody to blame. So of course it was Mexicans or Chinese or whomever. And well, he offered that to them. And he told them
0: right. He he was the avatar of their fury. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
3: He gave them Mm -hmm. a target.
0: That's exactly right. He gave them a target. Yeah. He he channeled that anger into destruction.
3: Right and and i think when you know listening to to these guys talk about america and and the arc of racism in america the, the promise of america speaks to people around the world it inspires and lifts up people all over the world and i think the reason for that is because what we talk about as being the promise of america is reflective of promise of humanity who we are as human beings as, as, because we are flawed, we are flawed beings, right? We make mistakes. We do our best. We, we screw it up and we come back and we try to do better. And it's always a process. That's who we are as humans. And I think that the United States of America just is embraces, you know, that's what the promise is that we, we all get to come in here and do our best and reap the rewards, and we make mistakes, and it, we kind of screw it up. We get to come back and do it again. And and it's it's just interwoven. The, the, the idea of the American spirit, the idea of the American ideal, of equality, of equal, equal justice under the law for everyone. And I, I just think it speaks to the heart of, of what humanity is. That's why we see so many people from around the world seek us out. They want to come here and be part of this. They look to us, says for inspiration where they live, Trumpism is the, the diametrically opposed to the idea of the American promise. It is exactly the opposite of that. That's why I think the more the American people understand it and feel it and see the devastation that it wreaks, that they are, they are understanding the necessity of replacing him as soon as possible. I, I, th- I just think that speaks to the heart of, of the difference between Trumpism and the American promise.
0: Last night, Stuart Stevens, Rick, who you mentioned, our friend and and senior advisor to the Lincoln Project, tweeted that Trump keeps trying to run against Obama during the debate. Trump started attacking Bernie Sanders Uh, and his plan on healthcare and Biden responded, he's a very confused guy. He thinks he's running against somebody else. I thought that was first a very well-placed line, but why is Trump still trying to run against anyone except Joe Biden? (laughs) (laughs) I saw some other tweet the last affor- night that was like, the- okay, well, now I have made up my mind. I'm definitely not voting for Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, and or under, Sanders, Biden. Or under Biden, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Or the squad or AOC. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the
2: the, affor- the, the the prior conversation concerning the racism of Donald Trump, comma, endemic, um, is 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 a part of it here. Barack Obama became a political and racial dog whistle. To the hardest parts of trump's base and these are the people that you know are the most likely to believe that barack obama is a secret kenyan muslim socialist which as i always say if he was a secret kenyan muslim socialist sleeper agent here to destroy america with socialism he was terrible at his job (laughs) (laughs) these people it's this very vivid sort of idea that that barack obama is 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 a figure of unique uh, ability to catalyze Republican voters. I don't even think it works. So you look, look at the guy's numbers. He's no, got faves I, in I the high sixties. Like, you know? If you're
0: going to pick a boogeyman to run against, don't pick somebody with 30, 30 points higher favorability than you have. Right? Right? Like, <laughs> then
2: again, look, Donald Trump isn't strong on the, you know, what they call logic, reason, mm-hmm. rationality, you know, political, political sense. But Joe Biden has forever been a sort of Uh, our democratic friends may not love hearing this. Joe Biden's a centrist. He scans as a centrist. He may have some liberal, you know, edges to the case and he may be, you know, but, but by and large, Joe Biden was part of this sort of homeostatic political tension in American life where you had guys like, like Joe Biden and John McCain, who the edges of their parties may not have loved them, but they were much closer to where America was than, 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 you know, a Ted Cruz or Bernie Sanders in some ways. And, and you know, with, <laughs> with this constant running against Obama again and running mm-hmm. against Hillary again, it reminds you that Donald Trump is a guy who really is stuck in the past all the time. Yeah, He's always looking in the rearview mirror. There's always yeah. some slight or insult yeah. that drives him. There's always some pettiness that drives him.
0: Yeah, and that makes me... Think of this this really interesting thing about Joe Biden, which is his ability to admit when he has evolved on an issue Mm -hmm. that he has taken previously. Which is something that takes a certain amount of humility, because it embedded in that admission, embedded in saying, "I've evolved. I said this thing then, and I believe that then, but I've changed because my views have changed and the world has changed." Requires a certain amount of humility to say I was wrong. Trump is not able to do that because he is allergic to the emotion of guilt and and humility. He, he's he's not capable of producing it. So it makes sense to me that he would be stuck in the past because how can you evolve? How can you grow unless you're able to recognize that at one point you were well,
1: wrong? Well, all authoritarians are stuck in the past because they can't, yeah, they can't, right. the, the future holds nothing for them because they can't control it. Right, so yeah go ahead and, and that that vision
2: of the of the 50s that Donald Trump tries to yeah. spin out there um it's a, it's, it's a right it's leave it to beaver yeah. it's a 50s that didn't exist <laughs> yeah that's I like to say sometimes I think he wants to go to the 1850s but that's another story <laughs> right. for another day um uh, but you know nostalgia is a cruelty in the end nostalgia is something that that you know it's not just this, like this evocative sort of Proustian moment where you look back and go, "Oh man, things were so much better in nineteen whatever." It's almost always a lie. The upward arc of history and and technology and society and and science and everything else, you know, we do live in the best possible moment. And and the problem with that best possible moment is it still has its rough edges, and we all have our generational problems and everything, you know. But look the idea you're going to go back to something is fundamental to Trumpism. It is a backward looking. And it, again, it is also revanchist. It seeks revenge upon people that you as a, as a, as a class or, or, or a demographic, you know, think has harmed you in some way. And, and <laughs> I had a, an interesting moment in a focus group in 2016 and it's in Pennsylvania we're trying to decode Trumpism.
0: Hmm. We're
2: really trying to sort it out.
0: Like, what the hell's going like, on? Like,
2: why do these why do these people believe this? Why do they think this? And I mean, and as a sidebar, it turned out it was basically the Apprentice that they believed in. Yeah, the, the TV image, right? Yeah. But this one guy goes just absolutely ham in the room. He's like, "Well, I lost my job to those filthy goddamn Chinese. They took my blah fa- blah." Ba- ba- and this one little woman. And I probably say she was in her late 50s, early 60s. And she looked across the table at him and she goes, for a tough guy, you sure whine a lot. (laughs) And it just was like, oh my God, there's the moment. Yeah, There it is. That's Trumpism.
0: Yeah,
2: That's permission to whine. It's permission to hate. He's the avatar of their rage. And so they... Run with that. They grab that ball and they run with it. It's white
0: grievance politics. We
3: saw that on the stage yeah. last night in the yeah, Absolutely, Jennifer. It, yeah. Absolutely. Wow, wow, wow. Right. Yeah. Everything. This isn't fair. That isn't fair. Yeah. They were spying on me. They were mean to me. I mean, yeah. the, he, he's like me so he's the baby. The, they treat me so. <laughs> yeah. He's the baby in chief. Yeah. <laughs> he's such. He is such a whiner, and and that was another great comparison between him and Joe Biden yesterday.
1: There's, there's definitely a, a corresponding, you know, I don't even know what the word is, that the tougher you are on Twitter, mm. the bigger a snowflake you are.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs>
3: right. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Right. Like the more like just patently ugly and threatening to violence and, you know, making fun of someone for you know, a disability or how they look or whatever it is. The more exclamation points, the more all caps, the more, the more that you will be highly offended when someone comes after you. Well, the
2: other day, one of these right wing scumbags tweets this picture of joe biden hugging his son oh yeah and oh, it said yeah. does this look like an appropriate father son oh, interaction to you and he just got dragged. i'm not even gonna mention his it name it was
0: yeah. and it was beautiful it was, it a was beautiful beautiful, a beautiful photo beautiful yeah. gorgeous a beautiful photo. photo and we've seen lots of those from yes. joe biden because
2: he's a human yeah. right. right well
1: yeah. and, he, and he loves his children
2: <laughs> right but children. but but the the thing about it was is he got this guy gets dragged so hard and he's like he's complaining oh people are trying to, to cancel me now blah, blah. well you're a dick pal Sorry you played the game you touched the hot stove but you know the the idea of of and I, I love I love that point Rita. like the the more the swaggering maga tough guy act that they have the more they collapse in a
1: heap when you p- point them at the truth and 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 I would say that that is this is something I've said before which is there are a lot of these guys and they're mostly guys probably my age um of a similar background and upbringing, right? Middle class, '80s upbringing, um, in which Trump has given them license to be the biggest assholes they ever could ever hope to be, yeah. right? And what you're seeing now, I think, with this guy in the photo, is society saying you don't get to do that anymore.
0: Yeah, like right. when Trump yeah.
1: goes, there yeah. will still be a lot of it, but like, yeah. you 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 don't get to be a, an upstanding member of society and be a dick to everybody yeah. all the time because you like to own the libs yeah. or like to watch people get upset. Like yeah. people aren't going to put up with it. Yeah.
0: Nor should they have to snowflake milter. Right. <laughs> you can say what you want, but the consequences will be severe. That's, well, that's yeah. exactly yeah. Right. right. Yeah, Right.
1: That's, I think yeah. that's exactly the point, which is Trump says things and there's, there hasn't been any consequence. That's for right. it. Frankly, for 75 years, yeah. there hasn't been any consequence. Yeah. And so folks now have taken that yeah. and they said, well, he says it and he does it and so nothing happens can. to him. So now I can. And then when the guy who's at, at Costco yeah. raging out on some poor lady wearing a Biden t-shirt, yeah. you know, threatening to, you know, kick her ass. And then he gets fired and he's like, why did I get fired? Well, because you were an asshole to an old lady in a Costco.
0: Yeah. And the world right. saw it. And you don't it. get like, to do
1: that. What the hell yeah. did you think was going to happen? <laughs> right. Yeah. In, 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 a, in, a, in a, in a
2: bygone era, you know, that idea that shame was a function of society was important. Well, Trump is the ultimate shameless Yeah. Individual guiltless and guiltless and shameless. There's no moral landscape inside that guy's head whatsoever. And people who imitate that. And I say this a lot. And I I, like in, in 16 and 17, I was trying to tell Republicans Trumpism will not scale. You cannot be him. And the smart ones like Josh Hawley and Marco and Ted and, you know, uh, and Mike Lee, these people, They've realized you can't you can't be an aggressive dick all the time in public. But what they've done is they're going to try to run Trumpism through the car wash, as I like to say, and clean it up. They're going to try to be nationalist populist. They're going to try to have the all the racial dog whistling going on, all the things that they think can keep the Trump base in line. But at the end of the day, you can't behave like Donald Trump, and too many magas think you can behave like Donald Trump. You know the insult comedy. It's like one of the things on Twitter. These people like they're shocked when when they say when they talk shit and get shot down. Well, that's what happens when you do that. You know, in a functioning society, bullies eventually get punched back in the nose, and. And Donald Trump has had an insulation around him for years of celebrity and 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 lawyers and people who would excuse any bad, shitty, you know, horrible action. Well, regular people don't have that. Thank goodness.
0: Yeah. Right. We have a societal immune system that protects us against that. Right. Right. Yeah. But it's exactly weakened, But it's weakened <laughs> exactly. It's
1: weakened though. And it is the first weakened. part of excising the sickness is to get rid of this guy, yeah. to use the metaphor. But yeah. then there's healing. Yeah. Right. You don't just like, you don't excise the foreign body. And then the next day you're better, yeah. right? It's the surgery and then the chemo and then the recovery, and the yeah. recovery. It's, you know, and that analogy
2: is painful for, for people, but it's true. You can't just throw a switch. Yeah. This country is going to go through a period and I, I, I'm going to estimate it's going to take six to eight years mm-hmm. of, of reconciliation and, 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 Assessment of where we went and what happened for people to get back to the point where you know where we're pissed off at Joe Biden for you know changing something in the tax code rather than you know oh God is Trump going to burn the country to the mm-hmm. ground yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: No, you know that's right. Jennifer um we weren't going to talk about this this morning but since we're here and uh, and having this part of the conversation Reed and I were talking this morning about whether it's even possible. To not that any of us are interested in doing this, but whether it's even possible for the Republican Party to rehabilitate itself, even in the short term, given the structure of the organization, um, and you're familiar with the bylaws as uh, you know, as a former chairman, which is you know it, it, the way they are written, gives the state and local party chapters the authority, and it's basically a bottoms up power structure. So. And the people who show up at those places are, you know, the tinfoil hat crazies who have nothing to do on a Wednesday afternoon. Right. They are now. And most of them are Trumpists. So when you consider that the power structure of the Republican National Committee actually comes from the the grassroots up, which is, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but it's an inversion of how the DNC is structured, which is from the top down. Um, do you see, how do you see? the next four to six years playing out as Rick talked about and whether or not the Republican party can, can, can excise the, the cancer. Um, and again, not that any of us are interested in doing this and not that that is, uh, right. this any, is not a
3: Lincoln project. This is not a Lincoln no. project no. initiative. <laughs> right. And
0: we should right. we should be very clear about that. But how do you see, how do you see this playing out, especially with guys like Marco and Ted and Josh Hawley and, uh, you know, attempting Tom to. Cotton uh, Tom Cotton. Tom Cotton. A lot of others. As sure. Rick says, run some Trumpism of those names through the car wash. It. Right.
3: Right. And some of those names you're going to see running for president in the, some, in the near future, in the predicted yeah,
2: future. Yeah, in the next two weeks. Yeah. So, Tom, yeah. Cotton, yeah. Tom Cotton <laughs> yes. was in New Hampshire this weekend. Right. right. Exactly. With his vest on. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Being real um, New Hampshire. In your home
0: state, Jennifer. Yes.
3: Yeah. And, and so, Tom, Yes. Tom Cotton in, in New Hampshire and before the election has even taken place. Look, here's, here's the thing. The Republican Party has destroyed their own credibility. They have no platform right now from which to advocate for any sort of conservative or American policy whatsoever they have they have um, remained silent in the face of immigrant immigrant children in cages they have remained silent when they knew the interference of foreign um, entities in our elections months and years ago and have remained silent in the face of that they've remained silent in the face of vladimir putin paying bounties for the heads of our children who serve in the military, who serve at war to protect and defend our country. They have remained silent in the face of every abhorrent thing that this president has said and done. They have no platform right now from which to advocate for anything. So if there is going to be a rebuilding of the Republican Party ever, the first step is that they are going to have to be willing to soundly denounce Donald Trump and every piece of the damage that he has wrought upon this nation, and so the question is: Can they be? Will they? Will they be able to rebuild after this election in two years, in four years, in six years? Well, ask yourself: At what point do you think they will be ready to fully denounce their association with, their protection of, and their empowering of Donald Trump? When that happens, then they have a chance to rebuild.
1: Well, I, Ron and I were talking this morning, and I used this line and he laughed, so I'm going to use it again because I'm like with my kids. If it, if it makes them laugh, I'll do it over and over again. Um, which is like, someone said, hey, do you want to help rebuild the Republican Party? Is like someone saying, hey, I've got this place out in the country and it's called Chernobyl. And would you like it? And he's like, eh, it's a real fixer upper. Yeah. There's a giant 22,000 ton lead shell over it, but it's all yours if you want it. Um, and, I, you know, I just can't imagine, but I think, you know, to, so, you know, just to continue the irradiated metaphor,
0: um, what is the, what is the half-life of Trumpism? What is, right. What's the device that we use to measure radiation? What's a oh, Geiger armor. counter. A Geiger counter. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We should we should Yeah,
1: right it. now the the Trump Geiger <laughs> counter is topping out. It's clicking <laughs> like a madman. Yeah. Yeah, the, the next generation well, of you know, are going to have several heads. To continue that heads. metaphor
3: in, in a much more <laughs> serious manner, you know, I spent years working with um, an organization that worked with children who are living with the medical consequences of growing up in the Chernobyl region. Oh and I've God. been over there and I've seen it. And, and I don't think it, it's a horrible, horrible thing. Um, This president is leaving us in a, we are going to be living with the damage that he has done. I think for a generation, I think Rick is being generous, uh, you know, when he talks about six or eight years, I think it's going to be a generation before we are really able to put Donald Trump behind us.
0: All right, folks, now that we're up to speed on the debate, we we went on a few tangents there, but that was fun. Um, <laughs> uh, let's turn to the week ahead. Reed, let's start with you. What story or stories are you watching as we head into this this final week?
1: Um, I think we all feel pretty good, and that's great. Um, we should project confidence, but not complacency. It's not over yet. Um, I think that when I look at some of these surveys that we see publicly and that we get from our friends, um, it still shows. Even you know, even in politics, where you know, Joe Biden might be up in Wisconsin by seven or Michigan by ten. Um, you know, if if there's a massive turnout of Trump voters on Election Day, it could be very, very close. Um, which means that you know, if you are ready for something new, if you've got your absentee ballot, get it in, drop it off. If you can early vote and you feel safe about it, get it, get it done now. Um, and if you're going to be there on Election Day, just make sure that you've you know you've prepared for a long line and and and, you know, making it take most of the day. And and I hope that employers across the country are giving their folks the day off. Um, I, I'm, I'm totally for election day being a holiday. There's no reason in the world why it shouldn't be. Um, and so I would say that, you know, confidence, yes. Complacency, no. You know, just pedal to the metal for this last week and a half. We can do this. We're going to do this. But it only happens if we're all in it right up to the end. And I think that, just you know, to to for something that we should revisit in the future is that you know even when you see you know Biden up fifty two forty seven, that still means forty seven percent of the people in that state think that Trump's an okay option. Yeah. And, like, we should ask ourselves right. what that means too what as we go forward. Mean? Yeah, there yeah.
2: there, and and as Reid said, <laughs> this will tighten. Mm-hmm. This will be close, especially in places like Florida. Mm-hmm. Cause it's Florida. Cause it's Florida. Cause it's the Florida. Florida's. It's the football Lucy. It, it
1: is. And, <laughs> right. And, 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 the and the pig pen,
2: you know, I, I, I was talking to somebody yesterday, a um, Florida person yesterday, very experienced pollster and, and, and political operative in Florida and who's required to publicly be very Trumpy. He's like, I am so fucking relieved. He goes, it's going to, he goes, it's still going to be close. He said, uh, he said the, the early vote numbers are so strong. He says, and if they turn out, they'll have to get about an eighty percent turnout to overcome the early vote of you know mm-hmm, the hard Trump mm-hmm. number. And I said, "What do you think? You're what do you think the chances are?" He goes, "Look, he goes. On the one hand, we're seeing a we're, the drop off in the number that they one of the numbers they track is who do you think will win? That number with Trump has been going down about two three points a week. It's a brilliant question, and, mm-hmm. and it is it is and they're at, with the Trump voters they think there's a there's a lower probability of him winning." And they're starting to, I, I, that's why we drive that narrative of collapse all the time. Mm-hmm. That's why it's rats mm-hmm. off the sinking ship. Mm-hmm. That is what's, you know, that's part of our, yeah. our, you know, audience of one and elite strategy yeah. to talk to those people and tell them, Hey, it's all over. Yeah. Cause they're not going to be out there burning political capital.
0: Yeah. And you know? he's instilled in them this ethos of winning. And yeah. if it doesn't look like he's going to win. Right. And he and and Donald Trump better hope to God Mm -hmm. that
1: it is 65 degrees and sunny in every single state. Yeah. he needs it to be. Yeah. Right.
0: Because yeah. if it's cold yeah. and yeah. raining and yeah. you think your guy's going to lose, you're going to be like, yep. fine. Yeah. It's 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 fine. Uh Rick, do you have another story or is that your, I always have another story. <laughs> so there was this
2: time, <laughs> one time in Tijuana. <laughs> oh uh,
1: that's another podcast.
2: That's, that's, be like that <laughs> that's, that's going to be, that's going to be uh, on that. That's the
0: bonus content. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's going to follow Schmidt's. UFOs. Yourself, no. at two in the morning, yeah. I'm on from two to three. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer, what are you watching going into this last week?
3: I've never heard Schmidt talk about UFOs. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a whole thing. <laughs> it's it's like a question it's I a need whole to
2: ask. <laughs> we're, we're doing
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing it. We're doing
3: it. Um, you know, you know what I, I, I was thinking, um, and I think I mentioned this to a couple of the guys offline a couple of days ago, I've been thinking about, uh, Ronald Reagan in 19, in 1980. Um, Are you better off than you were four years ago? People should go pull that up on YouTube. It's like a minute long. And every single word he says applies to today. And, you know, I just, we cannot be complacent. We must vote. We must vote in the most overwhelming numbers uh, that we have ever seen in this country in order to assure the future of our of our nation for generations to come but just that that I, I listened to that ronald reagan thing are you better off than you were 4 years ago and we can just go through the list um, 30 million 36 million americans lost their jobs unemployed um, 220,000 american lives lost to the coronavirus and this president's narcissistic you know, informed decisions that he made, um, our children now their way that their education has been compromised and impacted the way that their development, their emotional and social development has been compromised and impacted because of what this president has done. Um, you know, are you better off than you were four years ago? Because that's the point that we're at right now. And, you know, in a couple of days, we'll just be, we'll be a week out from this election. And I don't think it's, I don't think it matters, frankly, what's, unless James Comey comes up and says he's investigating Joe Biden for emails. I don't think that there's anything that can happen that is going to in this next week.
1: Excuse me, former director Comey, if you're out there, if you're out there in radio just land, ch- please go on ch- vacation. Yes, yes. We love you. We mean it. Please, Someone get him another cocktail, I just, please. I
3: don't think there's any story that can come up next week that's going to change the trajectory of this race at this point. So... um that I, I think Donald Trump has, and, and whether you're talking about the future of the Republican party, whether you're talking about, you know, Donald Trump, uh, if he loses this election, you know, go through all the things that, that people are so upset about, they have made their own beds and now they're going to have to lie in them.
2: Yeah. Bought the ticket, take the ride. Take
3: Bought the, the ticket, ride. take the
0: ride. That's right. I just have a brief listener comment uh, from Brian Buge who writes, well, you've made my contributions to the Lincoln Project pay off. After listening to the Carly Fiorina episode, my mother, who lives in Arizona and was a 2016 Trump voter, announced that she's voting for Biden. So keep up the great work. Um, One at a time, people. One One at a a time. time. That's That's, how how it works.
3: It's a game of (laughs) addition.
0: This episode was recorded when I hosted the Lincoln Project podcast on this feed. If you have any questions or advice, you can reach us at podcast at politicology.com. And please note that even if we don't respond, we read every email we get, and we love hearing from you. If you enjoy the show, it would help us if you could rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Ron Steslow. I'll see you in the next episode.